Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Good morning, Decision Day. The fierce debate over booster vaccines taking center stage at the FDA today. A crucial hearing and vote planned on whether a third dose is needed. With top experts divided, we're live with the very latest as tens of millions from coast to coast wait for word. On edge, security being tightened across Washington, D.C. ahead of a weekend rally in support of the January 6th rioters. A fence now surrounding the Capitol. Every officer in D.C. on duty. The National Guard standing by. Just ahead, what the man who organized the event is saying about his plans. Emotional plea. The father of a young woman who vanished on a cross-country road trip begging for help to find his daughter. This girl right here. This is what matters. That is it. This morning, his message to her fiance, now considered a person of interest in the case, as new video reveals the couple's confrontation just days before her mysterious disappearance. Up close and personal, the increase in shark sightings all along the East Coast, leading to a booming business. It's hard to imagine just how big they are until you see it in person. Our first-hand look at the recent rise of shark tourism. All that, plus, this is Jeopardy! Inside the quiz show's new plan to fill the role of the late Alex Trebek. And nailed it. Washington pulls out a dramatic win over New York on the very last play of the game. A thrilling finish to kick off a big weekend of NFL games today, Friday, September 17th, 2021. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie, and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to today. Nice to have you with us on a Friday morning. We've got Craig here, Hoda taking a little bit of an early weekend. And it's going to be a busy yes. weekend. Tomorrow, that all-civilian Inspiration4 crew is set to splash down in a water landing off the coast of Florida, ending that historic three-day mission we're live at Cape Canaveral with the latest on their journey. Also had meantime in Washington, D.C. They're bracing for tomorrow's Justice for J6 rally. It's led by a group of people in support of the folks who were arrested in connection with the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Police already installing this seven-foot fence. We're going to take you live to Capitol Hill. But let's start with that meeting getting underway this morning. An FDA advisory panel set to discuss the conflicting information about COVID booster shots. We're going to talk to the former acting director of the CDC in a moment. But first, NBC's Gabe Gutierrez is at Pfizer headquarters here in New York. Gabe, good morning. Savannah, good morning. In some ways, it's a race against time. Last month, President Biden announced that the booster rollout would begin on September 20th. That's Monday. And as of now, there is no consensus about what to do next. This morning, with Americans seeking clarity on COVID boosters, a crucial meeting for an FDA advisory panel weighing in on whether a third Pfizer shot is necessary. If a third shot has to come around again, I'll be more than willing to take it. Pfizer, citing research from Israel, says their data shows booster shots are needed six months after the second dose as virus protection begins to wane. 
it's much more of a gray area for younger people, particularly on the 50s. And that's what the debate is going to center around. It's been a confusing stretch in the booster battle. Last month, the White House pushed a third shot. Eight months after your second shot, get a booster shot. On Monday, two FDA scientists who've now announced they're leaving the agency wrote in The Lancet that current evidence does not appear to show a need for boosting in the general population. On Wednesday, though, a study in the New England Journal of Medicine touted the effectiveness of a booster dose. Still, FDA staff have not taken a position and have published meeting materials striking a cautiously skeptical tone towards the booster data. Pretty much everything we know about those three doses is coming either out of Israel or, in, or the United Kingdom. We've not seen data come out of uh, the United States. It all comes as one of the least vaccinated states, Idaho, is expanding health care rationing amid an unprecedented surge of COVID hospitalizations. We are being absolutely crushed by COVID. Some hospitals in neighboring Washington state are having to turn down patient transfer requests because they're running out of beds. It's never happened to this volume and intensity that we're experiencing now, and it is really, really serious. As for the booster shots, the FDA typically adopts whatever its advisory committee recommends, but it doesn't have to, and that's why today's meeting is so important. Separately, CDC advisors are set to meet next week to discuss the issue. Savannah. All right, Gabe, thank you. And joining us now, Dr. Richard Besser, the CDC's former acting director, who now serves as the president of the Robert Wood Foundation. Hi, Dr. Besser. Good morning. Good morning. This is Good one of those here. rare occasions in Washington with one of these hearings where there's genuine suspense about the outcome. How, what, how do you see this playing out with the FDA panel this morning? Well, you know, I, I think first of all, it's important to get people's expectations in line. They're only talking about one of the three vaccines that are used in the United States, the, the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, and when I look at the data they're considering, uh, I think this could go e either way. The, the final question that the committee is going to be asked is, is the, is the vaccine safe uh, as a booster and is it effective? Meaning, does it increase the amount of protective factors that, that you have? Uh, they're going to dive into that, though, and I think one of talk about, well, is it safe and effective for, for what age groups? Um, the discussion, when they review the different presentations, they'll hear presentations from the company, they'll hear presentations from CDC, from Israeli scientists. They're going to want to really dive in and say, are is there good evidence that over time these vaccines um, uh, fade in their protection from the most severe things, from, from hospitalization and, and death? There'll also be discussion as to whether they, they fade in terms of the ability to protect any infection. But I think this committee hearing could go either way, given how much, uh, how much of a, uh, how many differences you're hearing coming out of FDA itself. Well, I mean, you have Dr. Fauci and the NIH on one hand essentially saying publicly, you know, we think you should go ahead and get that third booster because immunity does wane. So let's get ahead of it. Then you have these, uh, some scientists from the FDA who are, by the way, departing now saying, you know, it's really not necessary, especially when you're talking about so much of the world that's unvaccinated. But that's more of almost a political and moral discussion. What does the data actually show? Like you look at Israel, which apparently is ahead of the U.S. in terms of when it vaccinated. So they're, they're kind of a preview of coming attractions potentially. What does the data actually show? Does this booster help or not? 
Yeah, I mean, when, when when I look at the Israeli data, there 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 are two sources. There's a published paper in the New England Journal, and then there's additional data that was submitted to the FDA that they'll be hearing about uh, about today. The the published data do show that that booster shots uh, increase levels of protection 12 days out after getting that that dose. They, there's not a follow up much longer than that, and I think that's one of the things that's going to be discussed. There also isn't longer safety data, so if if you were to see a problem, would you see a problem much later than that? Those are some of the questions they're going to be talking about. But I think it's pretty clear from the Israeli data, and that's a country that was using pretty much exclusively the Pfizer vaccine, that there was benefit from giving a third booster shot around six to eight months after the first one. Well, I, and I think you kind of raised the question there, but I, one way to look at it is, is there any harm in getting a third booster shot? Well, you know, I, I think that question then ties into the to the the question of how do you control this pandemic most most effectively? Critically, the most important thing we can do as a nation is encourage people who haven't been vaccinated at all to get vaccinated. That's going to help everyone the most. Second to that, I think is is that question of the global need because you know the the Delta variant did not arise here in the United States. It arose in another country, and if we truly want to get this pandemic under control. We have to do so much more than we're currently doing to help vaccinate the world's population. And nations moving forward with a third dose before so many countries have even had a first dose will put that in jeopardy. So you know, whether you want to come at it from a moral and ethical standpoint or from a global control standpoint, you could come down at the same position of saying we really want to vaccinate the world before we're doing boosters. Yeah, the administration claims it can do both at the same time. Uh, we'll hope to get some clarity today. Dr. Besser, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Meantime, security is being beefed up in Washington, D.C., ahead of a weekend rally in support of the more than 600 people arrested in connection with the January 6th insurrection. Law enforcement saying after what happened that day at the Capitol, they are not taking any chances this time around. NBC's Garrett Hake is at the Capitol where a newly reinstalled security fence is now in place. Garrett, good morning. Hey, Craig, good morning. Yeah, Capitol Police just finished reinstalling this fence overnight. Now, this weekend, lawmakers won't be here. The Capitol is expected to be all but deserted. But as you say, Capitol Police are leaving nothing to chance. This is what an abundance of caution looks like. Capitol Police once again ringing the building with a seven-foot-tall steel fence. A barrier first deployed in the aftermath of January 6th. Officials committed to preventing anything like that day from happening again here. They're going to come Saturday again. They have their plans to come. Everybody will be ready, more ready for them. That plan hatched by former Trump campaign aide Matt Brainard, who told NBC News he's expecting about 700 attendees for the noon event. Two Republican congressional candidates are slated to speak, but no current elected officials. He claims the Justice for J6 rally aims to show support to the hundreds arrested for storming the Capitol, whom he claims were not violent, along with Ashley Babbitt, the rioter shot dead by Capitol Police near the House chamber. Our people understand the stakes. They know that the eyes of the world are on them. And we are prepared to have a peaceful exercise of our First Amendment rights. Law enforcement officials aren't taking Brainerd's word for it. Every Capitol Police and D.C. police officer will be on duty on Saturday, with the National Guard asked to stand by. Newly placed security cameras dot the property. The Capitol Police chief briefing congressional leaders on intelligence about the rally on Monday. They're handling this in a very professional, thorough way. 
and I think they're much better prepared than things were before January 6th. Brandy Zadrozny covers extremism for NBC News. All the extremist forums that cheered on the January 6th Capitol attack seem to believe that this event is like a false flag or a honeypot, basically mm -hmm. a setup by the feds to incite people or bait them into criminal activity. Remains incredibly divisive in the Capitol Hill community. Some people like how it keeps the building and the people inside it safe, but hates how hate how they cut it off from the rest of the community here. And the goal here is a peaceful rally with that massive law enforcement presence expected to be here. It is also the expected outcome. And the Capitol Police Chief says he hopes to have this fencing back down by early next week. Craig. All right. Garrett Hake from the Capitol Force. Garrett, thank you. Lots more to get to. Tom Yamas joins us now with more on these historic all-civilian space yeah. crew somewhere up there. Yeah, somewhere up there. And it's been so cool to watch, right, and follow them. Yeah, we've been watching this so closely, the fascinating journey of the Inspiration4 crew, four Americans now orbiting the Earth, carrying out missions and beaming back some stunning images. NBC's Carrie Sanders is at Cape Canaveral for us once again. Hey, Carrie, good morning. Good morning, Tom. It's day two in space for the Inspiration4 team and in just released photographs, it's all smiles at one point. They're looking back at Earth through what I guess we might call the capsule's sunroof. They also made a very long distance phone call to some children who are cancer patients at St. Jude. This morning, the first all-civilian space crew is now more than halfway through their three-day mission. Every 24 hours, they circle the Earth 15 times, 15 sunrises, 15 sunsets, experienced in weightlessness. The Inspiration4 crew members each chose four mission pillars, leadership, generosity, prosperity, hope. Haley, who survived cancer at 10, found her message of hope making a special connection on liftoff with eight-year-old Slater. He watched her leave the pull of Earth's gravity from his home in Florida. That feel now? It feels better. Like Haley, St. Jude also treated Slater for cancer. Haley, now a symbol for so many. To see a, a childhood cancer patient go through that battle and literally soar among the stars is, it's, there really, there really are words that, that describe how amazing that can make you feel. As they inspire others here on Earth, the Inspiration4 crew is scheduled to re-enter the atmosphere Saturday. The target splashdown is off Florida in the Atlantic Ocean. But if the seas are rough, they can make a less than one degree adjustment and land in the Gulf of Mexico. There may be a commercial space race with Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic and Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin, both recently went suborbital, but this all-civilian astronaut mission, an achievement celebrated by all. SpaceX's founder Elon Musk tweeting, just spoke with Inspiration4 crew, all is well. Carrie, already this trip made history, the first all-civilian crew to orbit, but they're still trying to break some records up there. Yeah, you know, Savannah, aside from being the farthest from Earth than almost any astronaut since the last mission to the moon in 1972, Commander Jared Isaacman decided that he would place a bet from space in Las Vegas. He won that bet on last night's NFL game. And 357 miles from Earth, he bet that the Eagles will win the Super Bowl. And I don't think, and I know you'll like this, Savannah, I don't think anybody at such a distance can say it better 
Eagles fly, or fly, Eagles fly. Fly, Eagles fly, that's yeah. right. Wow, Kerry, well, he seems to have done pretty well, so maybe yeah. he knows something we don't. Maybe. Kerry, thank you. Money to get no, I don't know, but he won his bet last night, and that's that was true. a thriller. Okay. A lot of gambling, so, though. A lot of gambling up in that dragon know, capsule, exactly. huh? You would think they had other things to do, right? No, uh, there was a craps table. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, exactly. By the way, we're going to have much more from outer space coming up in just a few minutes in the third hour. Two astronauts, two NASA astronauts are going to join us live from the International Space Station, so we'll get them to weigh in before Sunday's big games as well. Yeah, I was going to say, so we'll find out who they think is going to the Super Bowl. Let's get a check of the weather. You do look forward. You're a brilliant forecaster. Well, thank you. I, I don't place bets on my forecast. So are the Eagles going to the Super Bowl? Yeah. Well, let's not get into that. That's a whole different thing. Uh, yeah, but we uh, do have some significant flooding to talk about from yesterday in the Richmond, Virginia area. About one to three inches of rain fell in the general area, and uh, we saw flooded out roads. We saw dams going over uh, the and river going over the banks. We also saw some water rescues as well as some stranded cars were stuck in the flooding. Now, believe it or not, this is part of that little disturbance that is sitting off the coast of the Carolinas here, and you can see some of the moisture being wrapped around. Because it's tropical in nature, you get those heavier downpours, which leads to some of the flooding. Now, there is a chance, a 70% chance, that this could develop into a tropical depression in the next two days. The good news is the steering currents will push it out to sea. However, we are looking for beautiful weather up and down the east coast as we go into Saturday and Sunday. So keep in mind that rip currents and rough surf will certainly be an issue along the mid-Atlantic coastline up into uh, parts of uh, New England as well. It's all part of a very active tropical season that we've had, and we have four storms that we're still keeping an eye on. Nicholas still continuing to bring some flooding rain to our parts of the Gulf Coast, and we're watching these two storms as well, and we'll see what will happen with those. But again, closer to home, uh, it will be more or less rip, current, rip currents that we need to keep an eye out for this weekend. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you. Coming up, the nationwide search intensifies for the young woman who vanished on a cross-country road trip with her fiancé, who is now a person of interest in that case. This morning, her father's emotional plea to his family and the new police video adding more mystery to the investigation. Also ahead, we're going to go to Cape Cod for an inside look at the booming business of sharks. The new industries fueled by the increase in sightings that's really helping the economy in some surprising ways. But first, this is Today on NBC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ken Jennings, you are the champion. Nice job. The greatest of all time. Congratulations. 
Oh, what a moment. That was his crowning moment on Jeopardy, Ken Jennings. And we'll be seeing more of Ken Jennings on Jeopardy. Yeah, we will. The next time you see him on the quiz show there, Ken will be hosting. We're going to have more on Jeopardy's new plan to move forward after the drama that surrounded the search for Alex Trebek's replacement. Seems like everyone's got an opinion on oh, who yeah. should be oh, the next Oh, they definitely the next do. Host, yeah. yeah, Jeopardy viewers are very passionate, oh, let's yeah. just say. Uh, let's get your headlines here at 7.30. We begin with the growing crisis in Texas. Thousands of migrants, mostly from Haiti, are gathered under a bridge in Del Rio this morning seeking refuge here in the U.S. The U.S. Border Patrol says more than 9,000 migrants, 9,000 are being held in a temporary staging area as agents work to process them. They expect thousands more to arrive in the coming days. Texas Governor Greg Abbott criticized the Biden administration yesterday for reversing its decision to close ports of entry amid that crush of migrants. Right, check this out. This looks like a clip from a James Bond movie, but it's not. This is North Korea. North Korea is saying for the first time it has successfully launched ballistic missiles from a train. Pyongyang's official news agency says it was a test of the North's railway-borne missile regiment. They say that the weapons were fired from the country's mountainous central region and accurately struck a sea target 500 miles away. That launch coming amid growing tensions between North and South Korea. All right, we're going to turn now from scary missile launches to football. Week two of the NFL. Already off to an exciting start, the New York Giants and the Washington football team in a Dustin Hopkins hits the game-winning 43-yard field goal as time expires. Washington wins its 30-29. They improve to 1-1 on the season. The Giants fall to 0-2. I was reading the story earlier, and I'm going, how did this story make it into the Today Show? Who likes the Washington Listen, football yeah, it team? Was, yeah. who it was a, it was a heck of a game. Yeah. It's it. a heck of a game. <laughs> there were three or four lead changes in the last five minutes, and that field goal that you just saw, that was his second attempt. First one, there was a penalty. I mean, you could make the Somebody stayed yeah. up late yeah, watching the game last little night. A little extra espresso in yes. your cup this it's morning. Heck of a game. Guys, this morning we're also following these new developments and the growing search for a 22-year-old named Gabby Petito. She vanished during a cross-country road trip with her fiancé. As her family continues to search for answers, authorities in Utah are releasing some new body cam footage showing an incident between the couple just weeks before she disappeared. NBC's Erin McLaughlin's been following this. She has the latest for us this morning. Erin, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. Police say they're using every forensic tool possible to try to find Gabby, a search that spans multiple states. Still, there are more questions than answers. And the man who authorities say could help is staying quiet. This girl right here, this is what matters. That is it. Anything else, it comes second to this. This morning, the desperate father of Gabby Petito appealing to the country for help as authorities struggle to find her. The 22-year-old cell phone could be a key source of information. Why is it so difficult to find her, especially if she had a cell phone? How long did she have the cell phone? When did she have it? When, I mean, all of those things need to be uh, solidified. Have you found her cell phone? We have not. Gabby's mom says she last spoke to her daughter in late August when Gabby was in Wyoming's Grand Teton National Park. Although police say the potential search area stretches all the way to Florida, where her fiance Brian Laundrie returned home on September 1st without Gabby. Part of our investigation is the potential that something criminal did happen. Gabby and Brian chronicled their adventure on social media. Right outside Capitol Reef right now. Seemingly a happy couple, but new police body cam footage paints a very different picture. I'm dumb all the time, and he really stresses me out. And 
Gabby visibly upset and stopped by officers in Utah after they were called to a report of domestic violence and eventually identified Brian as a victim. Okay. You want to tell me about those scratches on your face? She had itself on her hand. That's why I was pushing her away. After Brian asked police not to press charges, they let the two go, with the condition that the couple spend the night apart. Police say they're in the early stages of the investigation, and they're not ruling out a possible link between Gabby's case and a potential double homicide. The bodies of a newlywed couple found last month in Utah, not far from where Gabby and Brian's fight took place. Though according to authorities, there is no definitive link at this time. Brian is now considered a person of interest in Gabby's disappearance. His sister telling ABC News. Obviously, me and my family want Gabby to be found safe. She's like a sister and my children love her. And all I want is for her to come home safe and sound and this to be just a big misunderstanding. Brian is refusing to talk to authorities on the advice of his lawyer, who says intimate partners are often the first person law enforcement focuses their attention on in cases like this. On Thursday, Gabby's devastated family appealing to Brian's parents for help, saying in a statement, as a parent, how could you let us go through this pain and not help us? All we want is Gabby to come home. My goodness. Aaron, with, with so many different states at play in this case, give us a sense of the scale of the search effort that's underway. Well, Craig, this is a massive search. On Thursday, FBI Denver tweeted it's now involved in the investigation, saying Gabby and Brian were visiting national parks in Colorado, Utah, and Wyoming, which is why authorities say it's so important that Brian helps. Craig. We certainly hope that he will at some point here soon. Aaron McLaughlin for us. Aaron, thank you. Well, coming up this morning, they shut down beaches throughout the summer, but now sharks are actually helping the beach economy. Yeah, inside the rise of sightseeing adventures that have people flocking to Cape Cod, adding some serious bite to local business owners. But first, these messages. We are back, 7.40 on this Friday morning with In-Depth Today. And this morning... A shark surprise, actually. Yeah, it may be mid-September, but here in the Northeast, shark season is still going strong. That's always great to hear when you're taking everyone to the beach. But their activity is boosting a different kind of tourism. Yeah, NBC's Ann Thompson joins us with the details on this. Hi, Ann. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. You know, shark season lasts all the way through October, and that is extending the tourist season for one iconic destination as it uses the ocean's top predators as bait to lure adventurous tourists. Shark sightings typically get people out of the water. This morning on Cape Cod, it's a way to get people on the water. There he is. Oh my God. The Atlantic White Shark Conservancy, just one of a growing number of shark tours cruising the Cape's colder waters from Chatham to Provincetown. And that's one of the smallest. Yeah. Giving thrill seekers like cousins Kristen Muller and Rebecca DeAngelis the close up they want in as little as 10 feet of water. It's exhilarating, I think. It's a little hard to imagine just how big they are until you see it in person. They were here before we were, so I feel like it's our job to figure out what they're doing and figure out how to live with them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I find it extremely fascinating, and um, that that's just wow. amazing to me. Guided by a spotter in the sky, Josh Higgins is on his fifth season piloting tours. We go out and we'd have one or two boats uh, kind of concentrated in an area, and we might have a boat or two come by and say hello to us. 
Now uh, we call it getting mugged. Well, we end up with a lot of boats coming over and checking us out. All the activity on the water is spurring business on land. The presence of the great white sharks has really become part of the culture of Cape Cod. And uh, the national and international curiosity about it brings uh, more people to the Cape. Josh, how many times a week do you hear we're going to need a bigger boat? <laughs> Definitely a couple times a week. That's a popular one. Four decades later, the movie Jaws still looms large in imaginations. We all think back to that movie Jaws, where there are these crazy man-eating machines, when really, they are not. The Conservancy's Kristen Kibblehouse says the tours aim to replace fear with facts. We are not on the menu for sharks at all, and that's for any species of sharks. This area off Chatham is called Shark Alley, and behind me, you can see why, because this is a shark's buffet, seals. That is one of their favorite meals, you know, that heavy bl blubber that all marine mammals have. So that's what gives them that nutrition and the energy that they need to live their sharky life. Decades of protections for seals and sharks have helped restore the populations here. But no one is quite sure how many lurk beneath the surface. 250 sharks have been tagged, 500 identified. One of the many mysteries of the deep that keep luring us offshore. And Kibblehouse points out that just because 500 sharks have been identified in Cape Waters, that doesn't mean they stay there. Sharks are big travelers. They go as far north as Canada and all the way down to Florida. Savannah, Craig, and Tom? Yeah. Thank you, and appreciate it. Just 500. Just 500. Sharks are good for business. Yeah. Yeah. Good for like business. Yeah. I, feel like, I feel like sharks have gotten a bad rap for a long time, and now there's this movement afoot to like portray sharks in some sort of positive light. Yeah, they're still so. They got great. <laughs> Not what, with Dylan, apparently. She said they're, they're still, still dangerous. dangerous. Yes. yes, they are. Any uh, beach-like weather in the forecast uh, or some shark sightings? For the Northeast, up through Cape Cod, Mid-Atlantic, yes. Oh, okay. Oh, Gulf okay. Coast, not so much. That's where we're going to see uh, some lingering showers. We just can't shake Nicholas here, the remnants of it continuing to just linger. In fact, the storm itself is drifting to the north and west. So we still have New Orleans and Mobile, Alabama under flash flood watches. And when you get some of these heavier downpours, they still have the potential to produce two to three inches of rain per hour. So that's why there's a widespread swath of uh, uh, down south that could end up with about two to three, four inches of rain uh, just because of the remnants of Nicholas. Elsewhere across uh, the country, though, we do have the opposite effect in the Pacific Northwest where red flag warnings in effect because of the dry conditions, strong gusty winds that are going to shift directions. So it is going to be bad news for firefighters today, although we do have some rain coming in over the weekend. And that's your latest forecast. All right. Thank you, Dee. Coming up next, another hosting shakeup at Jeopardy. The new plan to bring back a very familiar face to fans of that beloved quiz show. We'll tell you who right after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Welcome back. The lovely Carson is here as we turn to the latest on the Jeopardy saga. Good morning, guys. Almost a year after his death, the show is still struggling to fill the void of beloved host Alex Trebek. But now producers have announced their newest plan. Yeah, NBC News Now anchor Joe Fryer here joins us now to explain what exactly is going on. Hey there. Good morning. Hey, so Joe. we already knew this, that Mayim Bialik was taking on some of the guest hosting duties. Now we know for the rest of 2021, if you don't see her, then you'll see another familiar face, Ken Jennings. He's been called the Michael Jordan of Trip winning Jeopardy's greatest of all time tournament in 2019. Now he'll once again add another title to his resume, guest co-host. Ken, what is 550? That's it. Ken Jennings, a fan favorite contestant on America's favorite quiz show, is set to step behind the lectern again. Contestants, here is your final Jeopardy clue. Jeopardy has announced Jennings, the man with the game's longest consecutive winning streak, will be the next guest host. The move comes after weeks of uncertainty, capped off by this week's episodes, which feature now former host Mike Richards. After filming just five episodes last month, Richards stepped down as host and was later removed as the show's executive producer. All after offensive and misogynistic comments he made in 2014 came to light. Richards apologized, but the off screen drama left Jeopardy searching for a new host yet again. Overnight, fan favorite LeVar Burton, who guest hosted this summer, spoke out saying he's now happy without the job. I wanted the job, right? But then when I didn't get it, it was like, well, okay, well, what What's next? Who is Bessie Coleman? Sony Pictures Television says actress Maya Bialik will be at the helm of episodes airing through the first week of November, then will split hosting duties with Jennings until the end of the year. Jennings is, of course, a familiar face to Jeopardy fans. His 74-game winning streak between 2004 and 2005, which earned him more than $2.5 million, is still unmatched. The historic run led to a bond with longtime Jeopardy host Alex Trebek, who spoke to the filmmaker behind the documentary Game Changers. That we had developed a rapport and a friendship. And it was tough when I had to say goodbye to Ken Jennings. And I want to wish you good luck on behalf of all of your fans. Sony confirms Jeopardy! producers arranged for a phone call between Trebek and Jennings two days before Trebek died of pancreatic cancer. And that on Jennings' first day of guest hosting last year, he was gifted a pair of Trebek's cufflinks along with a handwritten note from Alex's wife, Jean. Like all Jeopardy! fans, I miss Alex very much. And I thank him for everything he did for all of us. We've been told Maya Bialik and Chen Ken Jennings will host roughly the same number of weeks in November and December, so that's going to be about 20 shows each. That certainly has bought them some more time while they continue to try and search for whoever that permanent oh, host God, is. Oh, God, just make it stop. I know. Pick, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pick one of them. Somebody. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize they were it. still looking for somebody permanent. They don't have a permanent wow. host yet. Yeah. All right, All right, Joe, thanks for that. Coming up, guys, news on what 44-year-old Tom Brady is telling us about some comments he made about his future in the NFL. That's on Popstart, but first, quick check your local news and weather. The bucket hat is yeah, that's a book. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.